This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. Thanks for joining us. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I cover wealth management and personal finance for the Wall Street Journal. On today's episode, we answer your money questions. Paul Palazzo is Managing Director of Financial Planning at Altes Personal Wealth Management. Paul, before we start, we want to remind everyone that you are giving us some thoughts on each listener's situation, given the limited information you have. Folks should check with their financial advisor for recommendations. Now, our producer, Tanya, has our the first question. So, Tanya? Sure. So this is from Mike, and his question is... After I turn 70, my wife's and my Social Security plus pensions will equal our annual spending, according to Quicken. We do not have a mortgage, pay off credit cards monthly, and no heirs we want to give to. We have in after-tax accounts 2.5 times our annual spending, a third of which is cash. When I turn 70 and a half, we'll have to take RMDs of $80,000, according to Fidelity's calculator, and average market results. My question is, is there a better way to donate to various charities our RMDs than just writing checks? Mike, that's a terrific question, and uh, the quick answer is yes, there are other uh, possibilities. Once you turn 70 and a half, you can make qualified charitable distributions from your IRA. Uh, By doing that, you simply instruct uh, your custodian of your IRA to send the distribution amount up to $100,000 to your designated qualified charity. So the result of that is that the distribution does not show up on your tax return as part of your adjusted gross income. To look at it the other way, if you took the distribution yourself and then wrote a check for the charity, it would show up as income and then you would take the charitable deduction to offset it. So what's the difference, you might ask? The difference is that your AGI figure, your adjusted gross income, is used to determine other things beyond uh, the charitable issue. For example, whether you're allowed to use all of your itemized deductions, uh, to what extent your Social Security benefits are taxable, the amount of your Medicare premiums. So minimizing your AGI has benefits. Now, something, one other thing to keep in mind If you have stocks or funds in your taxable account that have profits built in, in many cases, not all, but but in many cases, it can make sense to use those for charitable contributions rather than the IRA money because using the taxable funds have a second potential benefit in that you can avoid the capital gain. So if you you donate appreciated securities directly to the charity, then you not only get to take the charitable deduction, but you get to avoid the capital gains. So every situation is going to be different for uh, depending on your circumstances. And as Veronica mentioned, we, we recommend that you speak with your tax professional and your financial advisor to determine what's best in, in your situation. That makes a lot of sense. That's some really good advice, Paul. One of the things I want to mention, and we were talking about this before, this person, Mike, is only 70. And in my mind, that's still pretty young. So although he's already thinking about charity in a big way and wants to give in a big way, shouldn't he also be just triple checking he's going to have enough as he ages? Um, when you think about things like health care costs specifically, I, I worry that people may not have enough saved because we're hearing that the cost of health care just keeps going up. That's a terrific point, Veronica. We definitely recommend that. It's terrific that, Mike, that you're charitably inclined and congratulations to you and your wife in doing a, such a great job of, of saving for retirement. 
But that's a great point. Be sure, do your retirement plan. Uh, be sure you have all of the contingencies covered. It's easier to hold off for a few years or make smaller donations than make bigger ones later than to make too much now and then and then regret it later on. And one other side note I should add regarding those qualified charitable distributions, you do have to be 70 and a half specifically to do that. So, for example, if I was turning 70 and a half in November and now it's August and I wanted to take my required distribution for the year, I can't make that QCD. I've got to actually wait until I'm uh, officially 70 and a half to do that. Very important to note. Tanya, I think you have another question for us. Yes, this is from Philip. His question is, is there any chance you can do an episode on using insurance policies to pay estate taxes? What are the pros and cons? Assuming an estate that exceeds the federal exemption, what rate of return does one need to achieve from the insurance policy for it to make sense? How many years does one need to live before it becomes less attractive? And how does one balance the lower return versus the tax advantages? Paul, what do you think of that? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Philip. Another good question. So, Although, you know, you specifically asked about estate taxes, it seems to me that the that question would be relevant even if estate taxes weren't an issue. What what the question implies is how do I leave my heirs more money through an insurance policy or by investing uh, the premium amounts on my own? I might look at it a little bit differently. Rather than asking what rate of return the policy would have to earn, I might look at it as um, – if you know the premium and you know the death benefit, then you can pretty much pretty easily figure out what the rate of return on the policy is uh, depending on which life expectancy you choose. Obviously, the longer you live, the lower the rate of return will be. So since life insurance proceeds are income tax-free, then you can then ask yourself whether you can reasonably expect to beat that return after tax with your investments. Now, keep in mind that in, a ta- in your investment account, taxable account, unrealized capital gains are also uh, wiped out at your death. So there's a tax advantage there as well. But with all that said, we typically think of insurance as being less about return and more about risk reduction. So when it comes to estate planning and estate tax planning, the role of insurance may not be specifically to pay the taxes as much as to provide liquidity. So, for example, to ensure that an illiquid property, a business, a piece of valuable real estate, a farm does not have to be sold at an inopportune time to uh, pay the taxes. Now, that's typically done through an irrevocable life insurance trust. You may have heard of that in ILIT. It doesn't have to be done that way, but one benefit to using a trust is that the trustee can be appointed who understands the purpose and can help ensure that the uh, that that purpose is met. We're answering your money questions with financial advisor Paul Palazzo, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts, as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York... Here's Veronica Dagger. We're back with all this personal wealth management, 
Paul Palazzo is answering your money questions. So our producer Tanya has another question for us. Tanya, yes, this is from Patrick. He says, "I wonder if you might devote an episode to your podcast to investing in index funds. Many people, including myself, are rushing into these funds because of their diversity and low fees. But I wonder if there is a possible long-term downside to what seems to be herd mentality. It might be good to hear what an index fund really is, why it might be a good investment, and what, if any, downsides there might." Be. Hmm. These are popular, indeed,、uh, Paul. Yeah, popular question these days,、uh, Patrick. So you are correct、uh, that index investing is up,、uh, as implied. Index funds invest in a particular market index: the S and P 500, Russell 2000,、uh, etc. It's it's basically a selection of stocks, or could be bonds, or commodities, or other things as well. But we'll use stocks as our example here. Mechanically picked so to represent a particular segment of the market. So, for example, large companies or U.S. small cap,、uh, international,、uh, emerging markets, what have you. Now they vary in how they're put together. So one common way is weighting by by market capitalization. The bigger the company, the greater the weighting in the index, and of course, the bigger the weighting to have in your portfolio. So the S and P is one such、uh, popular index. Now, index funds, you say, are generally low cost and can provide、um, investors with broad diversification. The、um, the devil, if you will, or the risk is in this case. Risk、uh, can be in the details. So, consider a market cap approach. During the stock technology bubble of the late '90s, investors followed the herd、uh, herd mentality and rushed to buy technology stocks. As a result, these tech stocks—I'm sure you probably remember them—Microsoft、uh, and Yahoo and, and AOL and, and Juniper Networks and a bunch of the others—became、uh, a larger and larger element of the index fund portfolio. And by the time the bubble burst, the S&P had its、uh, largest weighting in technology stocks. So, because of、uh, their mechanical nature, one of the primary in,、uh, risks of the index fund is that they're unable to, you know, manage or, or, or sidestep、uh, those situations. So messages diversify.、Yeah. Yes, yes, always a good thing. Thanks so much, Paul. I always appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Okay, my pleasure, Veronica. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for their questions. Please be sure to send us more questions at podcast at dowjones dot com, and be sure to subscribe to Watching Your Wealth on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'm Veronica Dagger. Follow the Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.